Well, good morning, church. Hope everyone is happy to be here. I am. And I also hope that you each got a, uh, a bulletin as you came in. It identifies the activities of this week. And uh, we have all of the regular activities from uh, today's service all the way through uh, the youth are meeting tonight, doing unwavering. The ladies have their Bible study on this Tuesday. Awana will be this Wednesday, and so the activities of this the activities of this week are pretty pretty regular. Next week, though, of course, is spring break, so in advance notice that uh, there won't be ladies Bible study next week, nor will there be Awana. Okay, so I think that's uh, what else. We also have a men's breakfast men's breakfast coming up. And I don't, the 19th, uh, next, and then the 20th, the day after, which is always good for us guys, we have our men's breakfast on one day, and then the next day is our church luncheon, fellowship luncheon, so that's on the 20th. So you're up to, up to speed with all the activities of the, uh, of the church for the week. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to be reading three verses, 18, 19, and 20. After that, we'll pray together, then we'll sing together. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says thus, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Thus says the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads together. We'll pray together. Then we'll sing together. Father, we do uh, begin this service recognizing, Lord, that you have done all that is required for us. All that is required for us to be entered into heaven, to have our, our way made smooth for our passage into heaven. You've, you've accomplished all of that at the cross, at your burial, and your resurrection. And Jesus, we, we come now to thank you for that, to uh, worship today. Father, we pray for those who are with us today. I pray that uh, your uh, your healing hand would be on those of us who, who need to be healed in body and soul and spirit. And also, Lord, for those who are attending with us online, that uh, we know there are those who could not be here for any number of reasons. And we pray, Father, that uh, at some point in time in the future, they'd be able to fellowship with us again in person, face to face. Father, I pray for this, uh, this service that it would bring, bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Would you stand with us for a time of worship? Look full in him. 
His wonderful faith, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and Ever true, oh Jesus. 
into the night Wanting a place to hide this weary soul
worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom. Awake and alive, oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things. You've been faithful through every storm, you'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things, and I know you will do it again, for your promises, yes and amen, you will do great things, God, you do great things, come on, see it out, oh, hero of heaven.
may be seated. Well, good morning. Y'all are doing well this morning? It's been a difficult week in the news, um, although you see God working in the world, and I hope that you'll join with me in praying uh, for that world this morning. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it holds. Uh, We thank you for this church and the work that you're doing in it. And like the Thessalonians, we are optimistic about what your son is doing here at El Paso Bible Church. We thank you for it. Uh, We pray uh, for wisdom to be exercised uh, in our government and in in the political realm. Uh, Father, we pray for those who are suffering under the current economic conditions, especially. And Father... uh, There seems to be clear-cut choices uh, that could be made to alleviate a bunch of that. Father, we pray that those would prevail. Father, we pray for those who are ill in our body. We thank you for your comfort for them, but we ask for healing as well. And we thank you that we've seen it in so many cases. Father, I pray that you bless your time and our word uh, this morning as we allow it to work in our lives. It is a powerful thing. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Children, if you go to Children's Church, you can go ahead and go. Um, That's uh, Explorers are still over here, right, Steve? And Adventurers are in the back. They switched a while back, and uh, trying to keep that straight. We're going to be continuing in in 1 Thessalonians, so go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. Uh, I do want to re-mention, I don't know if Steve mentioned it or not, but we do have a baptism service coming up. You didn't mention the baptism. Okay, good. I'm not repeating anyway, but I would repeat it in well, anyway, y'all just have to get over it if we have a rerun. Um, that April 10th, we're going to have a baptism here. That is Palm Sunday this year. Um, and so in anticipation of that, March 27th, um, Bill's going to be teaching the adult Sunday school class, and I'm going to do a baptism class. Uh, now that's oriented towards uh, children and young adolescents, uh, that class. If you are in a, you, you're welcome to come. But I'm going to tell you that that's what the orientation of that class is going to be. But if you are an adult that hasn't been baptized since you trusted in Christ and you would like to be, um, go ahead and contact the office or you can contact me directly and we'll, we'll make sure that we, we get that done um, to follow in obedience in that step. Uh, but if you'd like to, if your children have trusted Christ and would like to be baptized on April 10th, that's when that class is going to be. Okay? So when is the class? March 27th. I think it's even in the bulletin. Did y'all get a bulletin? The one person who picks up a bulletin complains when we don't have them. So make sure that you get a bulletin and read what's in it, because we don't announce everything that's in it. Uh, It's on the screen here. It's on the screen there. It's on Facebook. It's usually on our website. It's in our Facebook group. Um, It's a lot of different ways. So just remember that that's coming up. All right, so hopefully you've gotten to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, and we're continuing here uh, our study in Thessalonians, but largely the first three chapters has been Thessalonians, you guys are doing great. You guys are amazing. You're doing things that no other church has been doing, right? They were the mimics, the imitators who became the pattern, uh, and so other churches were following what they were doing. And they were honoring the Lord in doing that because they were becoming more Christ-like as they were following that 
pattern. And then at the end of chapter 3, Paul describes for them why that is so significant, why it matters. Uh, Because there is a day that is coming when all of us will stand before Christ and give an account, an account for uh, essentially the stewardship of the things that Christ has given us. The gifts that he's given us, the resources that he's given us, the lives that he's given us, and the things that we did with that. He's going to discern what is worthy. Uh, We read in 1 Corinthians 3, the description of them is precious jewels and precious metals and the things that weren't. And he's going to reward the things that were worthy. And the way that Paul described that is that you want to do these things so that you can stand before him with all his saints, holy and blameless, right? That has to do with our walk. That's not the righteousness that Paul says that we get by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, an imputed righteousness, a declared righteousness clothed with Christ, but it's the stewardship of how we live our lives, stewardship of our gifts, our our condition, not our position, as a friend of mine describes it. Our position is that we are in Christ, and holy and blameless has to do with how we live our lives. Um, Everyone who appears at the judgment seat of Christ, everyone who appears at the Bema, those are interchangeable terms, is alive when they get there and is alive when they leave. Okay? They're in Christ when they get there. They're in Christ when they leave. They have life. They're clothed with Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about here. It's a frequent reference that he makes when we stand before the Lord and how we use the things that he's given us to serve him and particularly how we abounded and how we increased in love for each other. Paul says this. He says, specifically with that in mind, my text says finally, it could be a therefore, it could be just the next thing. But finally then, in verse 1 of chapter 4, We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Follow these instructions on how to live your life. Do the things that we told you about. Do the things that are, that are pleasing to God. Now listen, in the, in the past few years, we've had a lot of interchange, a lot of exchange with people, or at least I have uh, here in, in this church and in the wider world out there with people that um, I had never encountered before, actually. Uh, well, at least as doctrinal positions, some of them I had encountered the people before, but they got um, a little bit of this quackery at some point. And it is, it's kind of quackery. Maybe you'll agree with me when I say that. That They will tell you that God is never displeased with his children. Now we have some super parents at El Paso Bible Church. Like uber parents, right? We've got all sorts of large families here. And I'm sure that you would say that, right? That you are never displeased with your children. Never. Uh, Angela has the spiritual gift of sarcasm. She's shaking her head, so I know that that's what's happening. Unless your children are perfect, you need to be displeased with them at some point 
That's emulating God's character. You won't discipline them if you're never displeased with them. And God disciplines all his children because he loves all of his children. Simply put, I mean, like in this verse right here, it says do the things that are pleasing to God because you don't have to do them. It's your choice. You can do things that are pleasing to God in Paul's terms that will lead to you being dokimos, an approved servant, an approved son in your service to the Lord. To say that God is never displeased with any of his children is just unbiblical falsehood and quackery. But it's becoming pretty prevalent. Once, now, what they mean is they don't think you're never at risk. They want to say that, that means that you're never at risk of losing your salvation. We believe that. You're never at risk of losing the eternal life that you have in Jesus Christ by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. Never. But that is a dispassionate position that you possess. It is not dependent on God's emotion or your emotion or anybody's emotion. You possess it. It can never be taken from you. It has nothing to do with emotion at all. Zero things. We're never rejected. Once we're adopted, we're never unadopted. We never lose the life that we have in Christ. But Scripture tells the children, it's not a but, it's an and. Totally different realm. Because Jesus wants you to be happy. We covered that, right? He wants you to be blessed. That's the churchy word for it. He wants you to be happy. Makarios. In order to be happy, there are things that you need to do that please him. God is displeased with disobedient children, and that's appropriate. So Paul tells them this church is doing amazingly well, amazingly functional, doing many, many, many right things, having become the pattern for, the, for other churches all over the world. You're already doing this, he says. You're already doing this, but excel still more. Keep getting better. Keep doing it in more and better ways. Find new ways to abound in love. Excel. Be excellent. When we read that in the Bible, you can find out who all the generation Xers are. The forgotten generation, right? Because all of us know a little movie that came out called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Be excellent to each other. Right? That's Bible, folks, from Keanu Reeves. Be excellent. More. Excel still more. You're doing that. That's what Jesus wants. And and sometimes we get accusations as a Bible church from people that think by communicating what Jesus wants us to do in our lives that we're really communicating some sort of impossible standard and that we're portraying this that Jesus is some sort of an eager disciplinarian, that he gets his kicks out of disciplining people. Uh, I've had somebody sit within six feet of me and tell me that I was making Jesus out to be a guy like that. That wasn't true. They'll tell you that if you try to communicate 
how to live your life in a way pleasing to Christ, that you're portraying Jesus Christ as, as a disciplinarian that's just waiting to squash anyone who steps out of line. And that is a false portrayal of what we're saying. It's one of the biggest straw men, it's one of the biggest red herrings that you can construct out of the scriptural admonition to live a life that is pleasing to Christ, to find new ways to abound in love, to excel. The truth is that Jesus is eager to reward us. He's eager to reward us. He is benevolent and abundant and gracious and has more to give than we could ever receive. And so he wants us to live a life that is pleasing to him so that we can receive them. That's where his eagerness is. That's the whole admonishment, the whole teaching. Verse 3 says this, for this is the will of God. This should make your ears perk up, right? This is God's will for your life. People always come to me and ask me what God's will is for their lives. Ask him. If you want to hear God speak, you have to listen carefully. You have to worry about your tinnitus like I do. Make sure you're not hearing the wrong frequency. Do you want to hear God speak in your life? Y'all are good Bible church people. You're scared right now, aren't you? The answer is yes. You do want to hear God speak in your life. Open your Bible. Open your Bible and read it. A friend of mine says, if you want to hear God speak in your life, read your Bible. If you want to hear Him speak out loud, read it out loud. You want to hear God speak, read your Bible. The Bible says things like this. This is the will of God for your life. Sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Holiness. Sanctification is kind of the, I guess with the kind of inflation we have, it's the $1,000 word now, not the $100 word. It's the big word for he wants you to be set apart. He wants you to live a life that is holy and blameless. If you want to do that, he says this, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. You abstain from fornication. Now imagine that because Americans are fixated on sex. It's just true. Anybody want to argue? You can call me. Don't call me this week. I'm actually going to Houston. Call me on Friday because I won't pick up my phone. I'm going to be in a conference Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and driving back Thursday. If you want to argue whether Americans are fixated on sex, I don't know what I can do for you. Maybe you need to get out more. Americans are fixated on sex. Imagine, this is the point where Paul is admonishing the Thessalonican church. He says, you guys became imitators of us and of the Lord. You did all these amazing things. You became imitators of us, and now you're the pattern. Now you're the pattern. But what admonishment is the first one that he offers them? Don't fornicate. 
Don't have sex with somebody that's not your spouse. Don't do that. Does Paul have that sin at the top of his list? No, it's on the list. It's serious. It's a serious situation, serious problem. It's a sin. Walk into your average American church, you have one of two extremes. Ignore it completely. It's not on their list. Or it's at the very top of the list of mortal sins that you can commit, and we don't even know if you're going to heaven when you die if you commit this one sin. Maybe there's some middle ground, but I haven't encountered it. Both of those things are really bad, both of those extremes. If you have it somehow falsely elevated above all other sins, what's going to happen? And what has happened over and over and over and over and over and over you actually give Satan a foothold in your church. You give him a massive quantity of leverage in your church. It is the kind of the tip of the iceberg of division. He created a division. We've seen this with pandemic policies, by the way, so you know how it works, right? You make one decision that we're going to just keep our doors open and everybody loses their minds. That's a way that Satan can get a foothold in a church, the way it's been happened. So is it serious? Yes. This is the will of God for your life, your sanctification, that you don't engage in fornication. Anybody want to argue that the will of God for their lives is not important? That one I'll take your call for in the next four days. It is important. But once you elevate any sin to an absolute and inviolable focal point, you allow Satan into your church in new and exciting, exciting ways, ways that you've never seen before. So it is God's will for our lives. And we are going to stand before the Lord, and we're going to answer for the decisions that we made, for the stewardship that we exercise. So don't fornicate, don't have sex outside of marriage. That's what he says. Now that used to be enough. Because people in the world knew what marriage was. One man, one woman, a covenant of marriage, it's the only context where sexual union is blessed by the Lord. Marriage has suffered a lot lately. Uh, People think two dudes can get married. They think three women and two bicycles can get married. I think that's coming next, right? Marriage like male and female, I mean, can, (laughs) words have meaning, folks. They have meaning. The attack on marriage was ultimately now an assault on gender, 
where you are denigrated for believing that God created you, male and female, Marriage is one man, one woman, and a covenant of marriage. That's what God designed. He didn't design it any other way. He didn't design it any other way. People in churches even want to argue that. Um, They want to argue that we, we have, and we've created an unbiblical standard that was unknown to the scriptures. That, but honestly, the churches all over the world right now are full of people who are as flaky with language as the world around them. It's insanity. And people that actually believe the Bible is God's authoritative word are seen as the loonies. And that's when you know the the asylum is being run by the inmates. Um, To be honest, uh, we were talking about personalities a little bit in a meeting I had this morning. and There are some people that think I'm an absolute sweetheart. There's not many, granted. There are other people that think I'm an absolute hardcore, whack job, Pharisee, legalistic nut. You, okay, you have to understand where the criticisms like that are coming from, don't you? If somebody believes that language has no objectivity, I am definitely not the whack job nut. And I'm not sure that I can be friends with somebody like that myself. Because people get this idea if you have pastor on your business card you're automatically pastor to the world and friends with everybody I need to disabuse you of that notion I'm not everybody's pastor and I'm certainly not everybody's friend (laughs) and sometimes those things don't let you be one or the other in any given moment because we also have to define the word friend A lot of people just think it's somebody who's nice to you. And Scripture says that a friend is somebody who wounds you faithfully. Abstain from fornication. That's God's will for your life. For this reason. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from fornication or sexual immorality, some of your translations will say. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. You got enough church speak out of that little verse? I'm telling you, sometimes the translators punt in the least helpful ways. This is, a, this is a little bit of a euphemistic reference, the way they've translated. If we take it, if we translate the euphemism, it says this, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from fornication in order that each of you know how to obtain his own wife in sanctification and honor.
Each of you know how to get a wife. Now, who's he talking to? What's our definition of marriage? One man, one woman, covenant of marriage. Go get your own wife. Who's he talking to? Men, please raise your hands. Remember, objective truth, objective language, only one component of the congregation in Thessalonica can get a wife. Agreed? Okay, we can be friends. Only one component, one category, one cross-section of the church at Thessalonica can get a wife. Women, you're ineligible. Get over it, I guess. I don't know. I don't think any of you all struggle with this. You can't do everything that men can do. Case in point, you can't get a wife. Right? Okay. I was looking for one knotted head. I got one, thankfully, from one of our elders. Folks, stick with me. Some people try to make this about controlling yourself. Should you control yourself? Yeah. Sure. You're also supposed to pursue the blessing of marriage, men. The writer of Hebrews says that in Hebrews 13, that marriage is to be held in honor by all. Paul says it again here. Each of you needs to learn to know how to get a wife in a holy and honorable way. To obtain one. One of my favorite movies has a line in it that might be somewhat applicable here, right? Except it's vice versa, right? It's flipped around. The, the mother of five daughters is arguing. Her, her, her daughter, Seitel, is arguing with her mother about how ugly the, the potential husbands are that the matchmaker brings. And she says to him, a husband is not to look at. A husband is to get. This instruction is how, aren't you thankful for that, guys? Husbands are not to look at, they're to get. I'm thankful for that principle. Don't laugh too hard there, Taylor. All right. I saw him chuckling over here. That's a good principle. Paul kind of agrees, right? He says, you need to know how to acquire a wife in sanctification and honor. It's a Greek euphemism for wife, largely. This is what God has set apart in holiness and honor, in sanctification and honor. It's a holy and honorable way to abstain from immorality is to obtain a wife, young men, particularly. Honor your wife. The nations had marriage. That's what the Gentiles here, I don't like saying Gentiles. Really, is a reference to the nations. The nations who are in an uproar, all the nations, the godless nations, people out there. They had marriage, but it was not an honorable marriage, generally. Not an Ephesians 5 marriage, in which the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. A number of things were condoned in the context of marriage that would still be immorality. But if you want to see disgraceful marriages, you do not have to go very far, do you? You can just turn your phone on. 
watch TV. However you get your news, you see them all over. People who don't know God have no idea what they're supposed to be doing in a marriage. They have no idea what marriage is a picture of, of Christ and the church, and they have no idea what pattern they're supposed to replicate. It's God's will for your life that you abstain from fornication. And Paul says the best way to abstain from fornication is to obtain a wife. Sanctification and honor. Men, uh, or particularly fathers, it is incumbent upon you to instruct your sons how to get a wife. That's not popular. It's not. You're supposed to just accept whatever your son chooses with no input. You're supposed to buy the lie that love is something that people trip and fall into. That's a lie. We've gone over what biblical definition of love is, right? It's a covenant and a commitment and a decision. You need to teach your sons how to abstain from immorality, how to obtain a wife. Churches all over are propagating the world's lies. If I see one more Christian compatibility test, I'm going to puke. Y'all don't have to do premarital counseling, do you? No, no. There's only one guy here, I think, that's done premarital counseling. So I had to sift through all that crap. Telling people that they have to test out their potential spouses. Now, they're not meaning sexually. That's what the world says. You've got to test out all your compatibility components for your spouse, all sorts of compatibility. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. And the people here who have been in premarital counseling with me already know this, but here's the secret. Compatibility is a myth. We are wretched and incompatible, all of us. I didn't get a single amen out of that. We are all wretched and incompatible. Thank you. There is no hope for you to live all your life together in a home until you die with another wretched, incompatible human being, except for Jesus and what Jesus says and living a life that is pleasing to Him. Honoring your covenant of marriage, sanctification, and honor. Let marriage be held in honor by all. Notice I said we. I'm not accepting myself. Lord knows, man. After 22 years of marriage, I don't know how Priscilla does. I'm rich. Incompatible. Compatibility is a lie, at least if that's what it means. 
The only way that marriage works is to do it Jesus' way. And if you need a reminder of how that is, there's probably five or six messages just on that portion of Ephesians 5 that you can go look at, listen to again. This is the will of God. Your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, in order that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you. Now remember, this portion of Scripture is directed at the men. So I'm not going to pull a millennial pastor's pile of tricks and somehow make this about men and women. Forgive me. It's about the men. Right? God created them male and female. We are not going to squish those two things together and try to speak to somebody the audience is not speaking to in the Scripture. It's male and female. He says, you should do this for dual purposes, that you abstain from sexual immorality and you stop defrauding your brother. Stop. Men, you shouldn't be sleeping with women that aren't your wives. Same rule applies if you don't have a wife, guys. That doesn't skirt the principles in the passage. When a man does that, particularly a a Christian man, he is robbing the future husband of that woman of an exclusive intimacy that God has designed for that relationship. Defraud is a strong term for a reason. And some people are foolish enough to think they get away with that. And some people are really good at getting away with it in their minds. There are lots of sins that way. People who are committed to the slavery of a particular sin can get real, real creative in the facade that they allow to be seen. We talked about this a little bit in Numbers 5 in a different context, different time, different age, certainly. But similar principles apply. Understand that it's not undetected. Nobody gets away with it. Nobody does. The Lord is the avenger in all those things. The Lord is the avenger. Now, you know, I'm sure, I mean, some people do get caught uh, having sex with people they shouldn't. And I'm just enough of a caveman to uh, not cry too much about the physical consequences they get. I personally know people who have had their jaw broken, their face busted open, their nose broken, stabbed and shot. Well, dummy, what did you think was going to happen? 
That's the lesser of the consequences. Getting your face caved in. That's the least of the consequences. You'll probably heal from that. They can insert a plate in your head, a few screws, right? I've had some hardware put in my body. John, you've got a little hardware put in your ankle, right? A little hardware. They can stick your body back together, but you're not getting away from the, the, the vengeance that Jesus brings when you defraud one of his children. When we stand before him with all of his saints. That was a reality then. Paul doesn't even mention that. He's like, you shouldn't even be worried about that. You may get your face caved in, but let's talk about Jesus. How do you like that? That sounds very Texan to me. <laughs> let's talk about Jesus, because Jesus is the avenger of these things. You know, when my kids were little, there was a, you know, some of y'all don't know, I have, I have five sons and one daughter. Gracie almost never did anything wrong. Five other boys did all sorts of things wrong. I'm just kidding. Gracie has Gracie's done a few things wrong, but all we had to do was triple no her. No, no, no. And that was good. The boys were a little tougher about this. And I remember the day that Priscilla decided that she could no longer spank them because we were both home that day. And she said, you're going to get a spanking son, whichever son it was lost track. Probably happened with all of them. And they said, Mom, Mom, can you do it? <laughs> you need to understand the hierarchy of discipline, don't you? Jesus' discipline is higher and tougher, more lasting than anything another man can deal out in your life period. I had this discussion with a young man that was here on Wednesday, actually. I said, you need to listen to your caregiver. This was kind of a nursery. And he said, well, what if I don't? This isn't a big boy, little boy. He got an attitude. And I said, well, what if I don't? I said, well, you're going to make Jesus real unhappy. And his face went stone cold like he'd never heard that before. Parents, you ought to probably be clear about that, that the reason you're displeased with your children's actions is because it displeases the Lord for them to be disobedient to you, and that he is ultimately the one who brings discipline. That's extra. Sorry. Paul had already warned them. They'd already come up in Thessalonica. So this is what we already told you. See, our culture largely places the, the burden of purity on women in deciding when and where sex is going to happen. That is, that is just the case, even in the church. You'll notice that this, this passage doesn't even address women at all, does it? Why? Because the world has it backwards. And a lot of churches have it backwards. But the Bible has it straight. Men, avoiding fornication is your responsibility. 
yours. And the Lord is the avenger. That needs to change. It needs to change with us and with our sons so that marriage is indeed held in honor by all. And that means that we all need to honor our own marriage, honor our wives, discipline our sons to honor marriage, and, and honor your son's desire to be married. Honor that. Because I know a lot of believing fathers that if their son would come to them and say, Dad, I think I want to get married, they say, oh, no, 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 no. Wait a decade or two. Too scary. Too dangerous. And I'm going to tell you, in the family court system, it is dangerous, and it is particularly dangerous for the men in this culture who are robbed of their children, particularly and a lot of their stuff, but that doesn't usually come up. Because two people in that marriage do not honor it. You must teach your sons to be brave and to choose wisely. But honor their choice and teach them how to obtain a wife. You know, it's the stupidity of the American church, and there's a lot of it. I know I mention it probably more than I should. But since I was a young man in the American church, we said there were two stupid things, right? It's not stupid. This is biblical. This part is biblical. Don't have sex until you're married. Don't do that. They shouted it loudly. Every Wednesday night, right in between bites of pizza, because back then we had pizza at youth group and not celery. Whatever, I'll eat at youth group now. We had pizza and carbonated beverages. Don't have sex until you're married. And then in the same breath, you'd be sitting in the hallway and say, guys, don't get married for a long time. That is incongruent, gentlemen. That is not what God designed for your life. He has a design that you abstain from fornication until you obtain a wife. And then it's no longer fornication. It is God-honoring intimacy. Don't mix the Bible and the psychobabble. Generally speaking, men are not designed to be 40-year-old virgins. Any disagreement? I'll be back in the office on Friday. God's design is that we don't fornicate, but that we get a wife. I have a fairly strong opinion of what the answer to that is. It's not as easy. No, it's pretty easy. Don't have sex. Don't get married until you're 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever. Bible and psychobabble. I'm going to tell you that doing what the Bible says is going to mean that you are countercultural. And you need to be okay with that. Are we okay with that? 
I got one nodding head. Not even my elders are nodding their head. Come on, guys. You are going to have to be okay with being weird and different. Y'all may have already realized that, but I made that decision myself already a long time ago. And y'all were like, yeah, it worked. Thank you. Thank you. I have a little list, okay? Starts with trust Jesus. Because the people will tell, who tell you to not honor marriage but to be scared to death of it will give you a whole list of pragmatic reasons why you should be scared out of your mind to ever get married, men. And they will not be totally foreign to your experience. You will have to trust Jesus that you're doing things his way in a way that is pleasing to him and that pleasing the Lord is worth it. Don't bother dating unbelievers. Don't. Because you need to marry somebody who honors marriage and understands it the same way that you do. It will be hard enough to find somebody who's going to heaven when they die that understands marriage in a biblical way. But don't bother dating unbelievers. Don't date too much. It's a waste of time. And by that I mean dating a wide variety of people. Don't bother. Don't bother dating someone you would never marry. Are we clear? All right. We got more. Get married young. Well, what's young, Pastor? I can hear the exceptions. Get married young. Get married young. Have lots of sex. Have lots of babies. What's lots? Stick with me, people. Get married young. Have lots of sex. Make lots of babies. Commit to serving the Lord together and raising your children in service in a local church, discipling them and availing yourself of the wisdom, the comfort, and the resources of a local body. Bring your babies to church and raise them up in a body who loves them and cares for them and is committed to loving and caring for you. And doing the same. Lather, rinse, and repeat as many times as necessary. Trust Jesus. Don't bother dating unbelievers. Don't date too much. Don't bother dating someone you would never marry. Get married young. Have lots of sex. Make lots of babies. Commit to serving together with your wife discipling your children in a local church. Bring your babies to church. Raise them up there in the community that loves them and you the way that Christ wants a church to work. Probably sounds weird to even y'all, doesn't it? Some of you. I can hear the objections starting. Maybe they already started a while back and I'm just oblivious. That's okay. 
But just like I wouldn't permit Ephesians 5 to die of a thousand exceptions, a thousand qualifications, I won't let this die because of a thousand exceptions or a thousand arguments. I'm not going to kill this one. God is gracious. He gives us favor that we don't deserve. He's merciful. He withholds consequences that we do deserve. He disciplines us. But the issue here is, is not the exceptions. It's not the complications. It's not the objections. The issue in this passage is what are we going to aim for? What is our target? What are we going to disciple our children towards, our sons towards? And that doesn't change. How do I know that? Paul says that. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The way Pastor Josh says that is, if you don't like it, take it up with Jesus. Paul said it more nicely, didn't he? That's the goal. Jordan Peterson, who's a popular podcast host and a few other things, popular writer, very recently I, I heard him say this and I thought it was very, very applicable. He said his parents, this was a parenting thing that he said, but it's applicable. So you need to encourage your children to do dangerous things. And then he paused to an uncomfortable point. Carefully. Men, you need to raise your sons, acknowledging that in our culture, in this place, at this time, there is danger. There is danger. But we need to disciple our sons to be able to do dangerous things carefully, to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the truth that it contains. Uh, we thank you for the admonishment. We thank you that though Thessalonica, the church there, needed this admonishment, that they were serving you faithfully and were a pattern to others to follow as they followed you. All of those things are true, Father. We thank you for the truth that is working in our lives even today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Stand with us, we'll dismiss with a song.
some great. 